James chapter 3, I sent you there, we'll be there in just a moment. When we reached the end of our passage of study last week, we were left by James with a very troubling picture of the state of our tongues. And this is what we heard in verse 6. And verse 6 really summarizes what we learned from the beginning of chapter 3 through verse 6. Listen to what we heard as we closed our study last week with verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So the warning is clear from James. An untamed tongue can set the direction of one's whole life toward ruin. An untamed tongue is a ready tool in the hands of Satan to do terrible damage. So how can a person tame his tongue? Well, James does not yet have good news for us. <laughs> the bad news is that you cannot tame your tongue. You cannot tame your tongue. James has not yet finished showing us the seriously depraved nature of our untamed tongues. So let's note how clear he makes this for us. I want you to look with me at verses 7 through 12, beginning in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James, tell us, how hard is it to tame the tongue? James tells us, terribly hard. In fact, he says it's impossible for any human being to tame the tongue. But it's strange, isn't it, that man is able to tame wild animals? <laughs> Incredible what we can do with wild beasts. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. It's an incredible thing, isn't it, that man can train huge wild beasts to do incredible things. I mean, go to a circus, watch the elephant trainer and watch the lion tamer. And you'll be amazed at what they can do with those dangerous beasts. But says James in verse 8, look at it again, no human being can tame the tongue. Now why is it that man can tame wild beasts but cannot tame the tiny tongue he carries in his mouth? Well, because, as James says, look at verse 8, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. In other words, 
In other words, you cannot trust your tongue. The tongue never rests. The tongue is very inconsistent. It is very fickle. You've got to constantly be on guard against what the tongue will say because you never know what it will say. And so dangerous is it that James says it is full of deadly poison. So you've got to be careful how you handle it. You've got to be careful how you use it. And I think we would all agree that sometimes we have just plain said things that we couldn't believe we said just a few minutes later. Why did I say that? Why did I have to open my mouth? Why did I have to say that? Why? And we marvel ourselves. Why can't I make my tongue do what I want it to do? Say what I want it to say. You need an example? James has one. And note how relevant this example is. I want you to think about how relevant this is and how easy this is to do this very thing. He, he starts with something good. Verse 9, when he says, look at verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father. And that's a good thing, is it not? That's a good thing. We bless our Lord and Father. We bless God. That's a very noble thing. That's a good thing. With our tongues we bless and we praise and we glorify God. With the tongue we tell of His greatness. With the tongue we sing songs of worship just as we did this morning and wonderful songs of praise and worship that remind us of, of the goodness and grace and mercy of God and it's right that we sing them. With the tongue we give honor to God for His, His goodness, His generosity toward us, His, His mercy and grace. And that is all good. And it is as it should be. We should be lifting our voices in praise of God. Psalm 92.1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It is good. It is right. It is necessary. Through Christ, believers should continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name, says Hebrews 13.15. We should. That is a good thing. It is a must for God's people. Every Christian tongue should be in the habit of praising God. But note how hard it is for us to control the tongue. We came together this morning. We're here. You look good. We're here singing songs of praise, and, and I see you greeting one another, and everything's okay, hunky dory, right? Everything's so good, and, and so it is a great thing that we've come together to worship God, to praise Him, to lift our voice in song, to encourage one another. It's a necessary thing. We should do this. We must. But oh, how hard it is for us to control the tongue, because with the very same tongue with which we praise God, we then turn around and curse people. The very people who are made in God's image. Look at verse 9 again. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So the trouble we're seeing here is that it is the tongue that reveals, and hear this, it is the tongue that reveals what's truly in the heart. And that is sobering, isn't it? It is the tongue that exposes what's really in the, in the heart. How many times has this happened to us? We do not know. We cannot count the numbers of times this has happened to us. But I would gather to guess that, that this has happened to all of us. We gather on Sunday for worship at the Lord's house with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We sing praises to God's name. We offer up tithes and offerings of thanksgiving to God in worship of Him for His goodness to us. We lift our voices in song together in praise, and after the service we mingle with God's people and we offer words of encouragement. And we share a praise of God or two. And slowly we head to our cars and we go home. But on the way home, you know where I'm headed, right? On the way home, the praise of God is forgotten so quickly. The worship of God is over, isn't it? And from the same mouth comes a word of criticism for someone at church or for someone in your family or for the way someone looked or for the way someone looked at you or for something Shame on you, the preacher said. Right? We can't help ourselves, it seems. We get in the car after praising God and worshiping together, and we get in the car, and something happens after we close the door. It seems like we so quickly forget that we were just worshiping Almighty God together with God's people. We were just praising His name, and now we're cursing people. How very quickly... The praise of God is gone, and the cursing of people begins. People who are made in the likeness of God. D. Edmund Hebert writes this, explaining why this is so, so grievous. He says, the likeness of God consists chiefly in the fact that man is a personal, rational, moral being. Beyond all God's creatures, all of them, he possesses the attributes of reason, will, and conscience, the ability to know and serve God, and the capacity to be conformed to God's moral and spiritual likeness. Therefore, to curse a man is to insult the God whose likeness man still bears. Instead, man's innate nobility should inspire respect and goodwill, even toward those who irritate and even harm him. But what often happens instead, James says in verse 10, look at verse 10 again, from the same mouth, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And why is this so troubling? Because the mouth that praises God in one breath and verbally tears apart people who rub them the wrong way in another breath cannot be wholeheartedly worshiping God after all. So James adds here in verse 10, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You see, the heart is exposed by the mouth. The condition of our own hearts is exposed by the mouth. And none of us is excused from this. None of us is an exception in this truth. James has been writing to challenge and encourage believers with a call to spiritual maturity, to grow up in Christ, to live as mature believers. 
He is calling believers to live in a living and growing and thriving and maturing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is calling believers to be doers of the word, not hearers only. But he says here that the brother, the believer who can praise God in one breath and curse his fellow man in the next is being terribly inconsistent and is exposing where his real heart is. In fact, the truth is, it's not just inconsistent. The one who can curse his brother is defiling his praise of God. He's destroying his praise of God. And his true heart is being exposed by his tongue. That's what James is arguing in verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11 again. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Absolutely not. Certainly not. Look at the nature, look at nature, says James. We can look at nature. We know that that's not going to happen. A fountain of fresh water could never spew forth salt water. Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Absolutely not. No, says James, these things can't be so. Fig trees don't bear olives and grapevines don't produce figs. It's not in their nature. And neither does a clean heart produce and pour forth cursings of others. The clean heart. It's not in the nature of the clean heart, the pure heart, the heart that honors God to pour forth cursings about mankind. And, says James here in verse 12, neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. So if your heart is bitter, your heart, if your heart is salty and bitter, your mouth will eventually betray you. So what's the trouble? If from the believer's mouth comes salt water instead of fresh, what's this a sign of? When a believer spews forth hurtful and hateful speech, it is a sign of heart trouble. It is a sign of a troubled heart. It's what we hear from Jesus in Matthew 12.34 when he condemned the religious Pharisees who had religion but didn't have Christ. You brood of vipers, he says. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then later in Matthew 15 and verse 18, we hear Jesus again saying this, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. You see, the mouth is the gateway to expressing what's really in the heart. And as James says here in verse 10, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Those who name the name of Christ ought to have changed hearts, ought to have hearts that are like fresh water. These things ought not to be so who claim to follow Christ. But James knows how easy it is to let our hearts become corrupt, and so he's warning believers, the growing believer, the thriving believer, the, the believer whose heart is right with God, this ought not be so of him. This ought not be so of her. How easy it is for our mouth to say one thing in one breath and for our mouth to expose the true condition of our hearts in the next because in spite of all the praises we offer to God, it's the curses against man that show what we really are inside. And how troubling it is, isn't it? And how a passage like this ought to humble us and take us to our knees before God 
that we would be a people whose hearts are changed in Christ-likeness, that we would be a people whose hearts are a wellspring of life, springing forth with words that encourage and build and point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a troubling picture, James paints, that makes very clear for us that the untamed tongue is a ready tool in Satan's hands, and believers, it ought not be so. We ought not be tools in Satan's hands to be used to tear people down when we ought to be building people up. It all serves as a warning, does it not? It all serves as a warning to us to guard our hearts, take seriously God's word. Oh, how you and I need to hear this. without exception, to feed our hearts with the milk and the meat of God's word. This is what we need. So that we would have hearts that are, that are made new by God's word. That we would have hearts that are changed by God's word. That we would be with the milk and the meat of God's word. That we would be on guard against the devil, having his way with us, tempting us to distrust and, and disobey God's word tempting us to be those who merely look at the Bible and do nothing to change what we see in our own hearts. Doing nothing about what it shows us, about the sinful condition of our hearts. It is sobering to think that our tongues can reveal so much about us, isn't it? It's convicting, isn't it? And it should be. It's sobering, too, to be reminded here by James that though mankind can tame wild animals, as he says back in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It's true. No human being by himself can tame the tongue. But with God's help, God can tame the tongue. God can tame your tongue. God can tame my tongue. We must pray as David prayed, asking for God's help in, in Psalm 141 and verse 3, when David says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We must humble ourselves before God, before God's word, that God would set a guard before our mouths, that he would do a work in our hearts changing us, keeping watch over the door of our lips. And this isn't just a prayer for God to keep, to keep us from exposing what we really are. This is a prayer for God to change what we really are, to change what we are into something that is Christ-like and God-honoring with God's help. This is our hope. We can and we must tame the tongue. God's word commands believers, as in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's what we're supposed to be as followers of Christ, as those who name the name of Christ. Likewise, Colossians 4.6 commands the believer to be doing good 
with the tongue, saying that we are to let your speech or let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Answering God, answering with godly wisdom, answering people with wisdom from God's word, with, with lives that are, that are being changed by God's word so that we might speak truth and encouragement and grace. Oh, but the taming of our tongues has got to begin with our hearts, doesn't it? We can't just put a gate on the heart, on the tongue. We can't just stop the tongue. We've got to start with the heart. We must not allow our hearts to go unchecked by God's word. I trust that's why you're here, because you don't want your heart to go unchecked and unchanged by God's word. How can a person tame his tongue? Well, you've heard it. The bad news is that you cannot tame your tongue. <laughs> Left to ourselves, it's very clear. The situation is completely hopeless. Left to ourselves, there's absolutely no help. No hope. But before you leave today, I want you to hear it again. There is good news. God can tame your tongue. That little piece of flesh in your mouth is not too, too big for God to deal with. And the heart that makes it move. The Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary to pay the price for the penalty of your sins and mine. And if we will repent of sin and trust once and for all in Jesus Christ by the power of Christ in us, by the same power that was able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, think of it, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can tame your tongue. Your heart and mind can be changed if we will humble ourselves before God. And with changed hearts, that means that our speech and our conduct will also be changed by the power of Christ working in us. Praise God. The tongue merely points to a heart condition and shows us what needs to be changed. And God can change it. God can overrule your tongue. God can overpower and train and tame your tongue. Praise God. I'm encouraged by that. I hope you're encouraged by that because if we truly long to be God's people who are changed by God, we will humble ourselves before his word and he will change us. And then our speech and our conduct will follow. And that word willing is what we're going to see next week.